0: and welcome to another edition of lit these days i'm jessica i'm adam and we're your hosts so on this episode uh as always we are going to talk about the books that we finished reading except i was kind of bad this week and i didn't end up finishing anything but the book that i'm reading is very good we're gonna talk about the books we're currently reading adam has a book haul And then we have a recommendation question from Amanda at the end, so stick around for that. And yeah, I also went to Barnes & Noble yesterday. Well, you didn't go to Barnes & Noble, but I went to the bookstore and I got some stuff. But, you know, I bought a lot of books, so I'm not going to talk about all of them because that would take (laughs) the whole hour. But Adam, did you end up going to that bookstore that they're doing all this illegal stuff (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah. While I was in the bookstore, the clerk was talking to somebody else, a customer, and, and the customer asked where another one of the employees was. And he he replied, well, you know, with everything going on here, it just became too much for her. So she quit. Oh, my God. <laughs> I, like, I know what's I know what's going on there. <laughs> yeah. The the criminal bookstore, Caliban bookstore in, in Oakland, which is um, it's where Pitt is, Pitt University in Pittsburgh, right down the street from Carnegie Mellon, which is important to the story. I mentioned it briefly last time, but Mm -hmm. yeah, for I think over a decade, the guy who owns this bookstore had enlisted the help of a friend who worked in the Rare Books Library in Carnegie Mellon. I think it was Carnegie Mellon. Somewhere, down the street, one of the Rare Books Libraries at the universities. And he was stealing the books from the Rare Books Library and they were selling them on the internet for a lot of money because they sold a book from newton they sold one of isaac newton's (laughs) books yeah they success i guess because like no one thinks to rob the rare books library they were getting away with it for a while the reason why they got caught was because if if you're you know if you're into purchasing antiquarian books you you know what you're talking about Mm -hmm. so when somebody I don't think they bought it. I think they just saw listed or maybe they did buy it. They did buy it. It was in Britain or Australia somewhere. They bought the the Newton book and got it and said, "Wait a second. <laughs> this, this isn't right. This is from somewhere else." And then reported them and the police found all all of these books that they had they had stolen. And they, but it's terrible, too. They defaced books like they took oh. they took um the book plates, um, which can be very, very pricey, they took book plates off of books and sold those. So they they had like destroyed books in an attempt to to sell these things.
0: Do you know how much money they made off of this?
1: Uh, over a million, I think. Oh my gosh! Let's pause the podcast for a second while I give you a number. Okay, here we go. Uh, well, they stole eight million dollars worth of rarities. Whoa! Which is a lot. From the Carnegie Library. They stole Mm -hmm. it from the Carnegie Library, uh, which is a very important library. One by one, rare books vanished from the library. This is from the, the Washington Post. Oh, wow. The journal, the journal of George Washington, a copy of Isaac Newton's Philosophy Naturalis Principia Mathematica, valued at nearly $1 million.
0: Oh, my gosh.
1: An atlas by a 19th century German explorer worth 1.2 million. Over a quarter of a century, these printed treasures and hundreds of others were stolen from Pittsburgh's Carnegie Library, and some of them were headed just around the corner, like walking distance around the corner. Oh my gosh. Because um, the guy who was stealing them would walk them to the Caliban bookshop. Um, on Monday, Gregory Pior, Prior a former archivist of Carnegie Library's Rare Book Room and John Shulman, owner of Caliban Bookshop, pleaded guilty to theft and receiving stolen property for snatching $8 million worth of rare books, maps, folios, and other objects. Shulman also ple- pleaded guilty to forgery, and their sentencing is due in April. This is from January 2020, right before COVID. So, yeah, there's ski. That's the, uh, that's the Caliban bookstore. So they stole $8 million
0: but they only made a million off of it?
1: Uh, let me see if it says in here how much they made. It doesn't It doesn't tell me how much they actually made off of the books. So Greed say, came over me, Priora told investigators. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to no. say,
0: um, if, if they stole eight million, but they only made a million, they're not very good bad guys.
1: Yeah, yeah. And so, the reason why we still shop there, now, this is back in 2018. I maybe should do some more investigation, but I doubt he's making money off the store. Um, a judge forbade him from making profits from the store, but still forced him to pay the store's bills. Okay. So, I don't know who was making a profit off the store, but he ain't that guy. He's not making a profit anymore. I want to say, too, he was... I, th- I feel like he was in jail or something was going on and he was released... Um, because of COVID, but he's, like, stuck stuck in his house, so he has, mm-hmm. like, no access to the bookstore at all.
0: I wonder if all the profits that the bookstore is making are going to the library. That would make sense
1: okay. to me. That would make sense, yeah. That would. Yeah, I don't know. It would be interesting to figure out how that works, because I'm, I'm kind of, honestly, I'm kind of surprised they're still in business, but mm-hmm. it must have something to do with that. I'm glad they're still in business, uh, because their books are, fantastic none of the stolen books were going into the bookstore they were going in the warehouse and they were selling them online so because that was my first thought of like <gasps> every time I we go in there books. there's a yeah there's a there's a section on books it's books on books and there's always a couple copies of like uh how to sell rare books <laughs> Like, did he write this <laughs> oh who knows <laughs> yeah.
0: okay. but how, what did you pick up from yeah. there
1: Oh, I picked up all kinds of things, and I will. I'm not going to go in depth on any of these things because I'm walking away from the microphone to get these books out. I'm not going to go in depth on on many of these things because I bought a lot. Like, I bought a ton of books this week. No surprise there. Uh, the Pitchfork review, uh, which I didn't know. Pitchfork, which is an online um a music journalism website they do all kinds of, of reviews they have a, a print edition which i did not know this is their first volume so uh, okay. it's it's a cool little like you know set up like a lit mag but all about music what else did i get i got this in the bargain section uh, a just measure of pain the penitentiary in the industrial revolution 1750 to 1850 Which might sound tremendously boring, but I I think it sounds really cool. Returns to the moment in the 18th century England when the modern penitentiary and its ambiguous legacy were born. In depicting how the whip, the brand, and the gallows, public punishments once meant to cow the unruly poor into passivity, came to be replaced by the prison and the idea that the criminal poor should be involved in their own rehabilitation. That's a book where if I didn't read the back, I would not have picked it up. Because to just read the title of it, like, that sounds kind of boring. But the back made really sold it for me.
0: Yeah, that actually sounds interesting. That'd be something I would be interested in reading too.
1: And I picked, I've been meaning to read these. These are, it's from Oxford Press. They're called Very Short Introductions. And they're just on various topics. I picked up two. I picked one on literary theory. And I picked up one on beauty. So two, again, trying to read some modern philosophy. Two books on philosophy. This one I'm super excited for, which is Charlie Mingus. He was a jazz bass player. It's his uh, autobiography. I love, sounds...
0: his, I love his last name. Mingus.
1: Mingus. Charlie <laughs> Mingus. He's great. You should check out Charlie Mingus. Tells of his god-haunted childhood in Watts during the 1920s and 1930s, his outcast adolescent years, his apprenticeship not only with jazzmen but also pimps, hookers, junkies, and hoodlums. In his golden years in New York City with such legendary figures as Duke Ellington, Lionel Hampton, Miles Davis, Charlie Parker, and Dizzy Gillespie. Here's Mingus in his own words from shabby roadhouses to fabulous estates, from the psychiatric wards of Bellevue to worlds of mysticism and solitude. But for all his travels, he never strayed too far, always returning to the music. Again, I might not have picked up that Mingus autobiography, if I didn't read the back of it, that sounded mm-hmm. really cool. This I found in the, in the bargain section as well. Songs in the Key of Z, the curious universe of outsider music, which I'm always interested in weird music and outsider art, so this one looks pretty good. And I only know two people that are featured in it, so that'll be, that'll be interesting. Outsider art's basically like, they didn't make it for a profit, and it is weird. Yeah. Like, weirder than Sun Ra. <laughs> we'll put it that way. Oh, got Tiny Tim in it, uh, it's got Captain Beefheart, and those are the only two that I know, so I'm sure at some point we'll discuss it once I start to, to read that critical theory today, a user-friendly guide, because again, it's in the news all the time, so rather than listen to the news, I choose to read some books about it. And finally, a book I've been meaning to pick up for years, Pittsburgh Noir, which is... Hello yeah murder mystery stories set in various neighborhoods of pittsburgh including how many of these have i lived in one is where my parents live i guess i've only lived in one of these places but i know where i know where they all are so
0: that's a series and they do that in in different cities in the u.s
1: it is it is um it's it's a bunch of different people. Kathleen George is the editor for it. But yeah, okay. there I think there's a list actually.
0: Because there's a, yeah. a bookish a YouTuber. Big old list. There's a bookish YouTuber that I watch, Noelle Gallagher. I'll have her linked in the show notes. She's really good. she I think she picked up one on LA or something. And, and so, yeah, I know that there's a bunch of them floating around out there.
1: Yeah, Los Angeles Noir and Los Angeles Noir 2. The classics. So there you go. Milwaukee Noir was in there as well.
0: Any yeah. Minneapolis Noir?
1: Um. Weirdly, no. Dang. I'll have well, to write an maybe,
0: email. Well, maybe maybe
1: it's under forthcoming. It's not under forthcoming. Ah, uh, sorry. I'm upset. You should send them a letter. Oh, it might be <laughs> out now. This book's pretty old, so. <laughs> mm. So that's what I picked up from the from the Caliban bookstore. I also picked up from another like we just we just kept stopping at bookstores on the way home. Um, the Shenley Experiment: uh, A Social History of Pittsburgh's First Public High School, which is interesting. Uh, Willa Cather taught at Shenley High School. Willa Cather's from uh, Winchester, which I thought was kind of oh. odd. I live in Winchester, listeners, in case you're wondering why I brought that up. <laughs> and then the other book I'll, I'll talk about, it, currently reading. I'm currently reading it, but there's the big old book haul. what did you get from Bards Ooh. and Noble?
0: Where did I put them? Okay, I'll go get them. I'm in the closet, so <laughs> I have to do some rearranging and, so I can go get them, but I'll be right back. I have a huge stack of books here. I'm uh, I mean, what?
1: I, th- you, that top one. That top. I'm excited for that top one.
0: Yes, because, okay, some of these, bo- well, most of these books I bought because we're getting a lot of um, people asking for uh, book recommendations. And they're like, hey, I read this book. Can you recommend me something like it? And I'm like, well, I haven't read that book, so I might, might as well go get it. So I got a lot of them from the library. but there's always okay so at the Minneapolis library you know a lot of people use it there's always like three copies of a book and there's like 200 holds on it so i'm like this is not going to come in on time so i just went and i bought these books so some of them are from Barnes and Noble and some of them are from half half price books and,
1: oh you have half price books
0: oh yeah it's it's dangerous it's oh, right next man. to the Barnes and Noble
1: My wife and I, there used to be four of them in Pittsburgh. There's three now. My wife and I went to all four one day (laughs) (laughs) and came home with like our trunk filled with books.
0: Oh my gosh, that's so funny. No, like, geez, buying books is so dangerous. I'm like, (laughs) Jessica, there are other things you can do with your money, like pay off more of your student loans. But I'm like, no, but I want my books.
1: I used to sell my books all the time there to make, mm. to make money in college, and, but then I would end up buying more books from them, so That's counterproductive. Dangerous. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, okay, so the first one I got is The Midnight Library by Matt Haig, H-A-I-G. Do I know what this is about? No, but someone asked us to recommend a book like it. So I think it's like that short story that you were asked, that you told us about before by... Jorge Luis Borges, what was that called?
1: The, the Library of Babel.
0: Yeah, so I think it's like kind of like that. Maybe I'm wrong though, but it's like you can go and read a, a book about your life. And I don't know anything more about that.
1: Yeah, it had some, it made me immediately think of the Library of Babel. It's a, it's a, it is a little bit different, but I, I would be shocked if the writer hadn't read that story prior mm-hmm. to writing this one. Whenever you read that, let me know, because okay. my my boss, my principal, read it and loved it and was giving it away as prizes, told everyone they should read it over the summer, and I have a copy of it waiting in my uh, Audible account right now.
0: Ooh, we can do a buddy read. That yeah. would be so exciting. Okay, I'm so excited now. Okay, anyway... Um, <laughs> We had another question come in for uh, Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil by John Behrend. And I tried to get this from the library. There are so many holds on it. So I was like, you know what? We're just going to buy it. This is, I, it's funny because I actually had a copy of this book from Half Price Books. Like, I don't know I probably bought it a year ago or something. And I was like, mm-hmm. eh, I'm never going to read this book. So when I moved to <laughs> Minneapolis, I I gave it to Goodwill, and I'm like, shoot, I should have kept it. But this cover, you know, I think most of it was the cover that made me get rid of it because it's very ugly. But you know, (laughs) it was it was on the New York Times bestseller list for four years, so it's got to be good. And it's nonfiction, and it's about a a trial. Yeah, I don't. It's about a trial. I think it's a a murder trial. Question mark.
1: Yeah, I think it's a true crime. My wife either read that one or another one by him and she really liked it. I don't think it was that one, but yeah.
0: So that's that. Um, and then I stopped by the fantasy section at Barnes and Noble. Which is always a it's a dangerous territory for me. Well <laughs> oh let me let me tell you about this one that I got. I saw it and I was like, Adam talked about that one, so I'm gonna get it. Mmm. Jonathan Strange and Mr.
1: Yes. Daniel. It's oh, a it's big so boy. Oh it's my massive.
0: goodness. It's yeah. massive. How many pages? Just
1: wait is till you get to the footnotes. <laughs> oh
0: boy. It's 846 pages and the text is very small. So I'm yep. a little intimidated. But
1: you can tell you what, though. this it, before. Yeah, it's intimidating, but I think I said before, I remember just carrying it with me everywhere I went. Mm-hmm. I could not stop reading it. Oh. Awesome. Awesome.
0: Um, do you have like a short little synopsis of it since you've already read it?
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's basically, <laughs> it's set up kind of like war and peace where, but it's, it's, it's England and in England, like magicians actually exist at real magicians, real magic, but they haven't, they haven't really done much. Um, they stopped doing magic a, a long time ago, but they, um, Mr. Norell is a magician who he uses his magic to kind of turn the tides of war and prevent Napoleon from, from attacking. Um, and then his rival comes in, who is Jonathan Strange, and he's all about like really bringing the heavy magic back. So there's, there's a conflict between the two of them. So it's, it's, it's history. It's a historical reimagining. It's, it's fantasy. It has a modern feel to it, I think, because it's not written in a fantasy world. So it's—I mean, I can't—I can't sing its praises enough. Uh, it's been years since I've read it, but there's a TV series, a BBC TV series, as well. I should check oh. that out to refresh on cool. it.
0: Yeah, cool.
1: But and yeah, there's a. I think there's a two-page footnote at
0: one point. Oh, my gosh. Okay.
1: Which I think she just put in there to like outdo herself with the footnotes. There's footnotes everywhere to give you the history of the magic, mm. but also to make it feel like this actually happened.
0: Mm-hmm. Do you feel like that takes you out of the action, though?
1: Nah. She, she does it really well.
0: Okay. Well, I'm excited to read it. And I also have another book by her that I just haven't read yet. Uh, the author is Susanna Clark. So if I like that one, then I have another book from, from her. So that's exciting. Um, and yeah, I got that from the fantasy section. And then I have a really bad habit of like, oh, I've seen this on um, a bookstagram or Talk before. So I'm like, well, I'm gonna get it. And so I picked up this book and it was on a 50% off table. I like buy one, get one 50% off. So I was like, well, I might as well get two. So I got-
1: Yeah, this first... always get me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the first one I got is Black Sun by Rebecca Roanhorse, which I've heard great things about this one. Um, it, I'll read the bag because it's super short. Inspired by the civilizations of the pre-Columbian Americas, woven into a tale of celestial prophecies, forbidden magic, and crafted with an unforgettable, with unforgettable characters, Rebecca Roanhorse has created an epic fantasy adventure in the most original series debut of the decade. In the holy city of Tova, three lives are converging during a solar eclipse prescribed by the sun priest as an unbalancing of the world. Meanwhile, a ship launches from a distant city bound for Toba, Tova, and set to arrive on the solstice. The captain of the ship, Iala is a disgraced teak whose song can calm the waters around her as easily as it can warp a man's mind. Her ship carries one passenger, described as harmless, the passenger, Serapiel is a young man, blind, scarred, and cloaked in destiny. As Yala well knows, when a man is described as harmless, he usually ends up being a villain. <laughs> I love that. That's funny. <laughs> so yeah, I've heard great things about that, so I'm excited to read it
1: nice that sounds that sounds cool I hear Kirkus Reviews said perfection
0: oh yeah because you saw it in the front and RF Quang she wrote um oh god The Poppy War which hmm. I started a long time ago but I don't think I was in the mood for fantasy at that point so I put it down and then I just never picked it back up but I think I still have it I've heard of good things about that series um and then the other one I picked up I know I said I wasn't gonna talk about these books, but like here we are. Um, the other book was American Gods by Neil Gaiman because you yeah. said that I would like it, so I picked that up. Um, don't yeah. know what it's about, mythology. So that sounds cool to
1: me. So American Gods, I actually think I recommended something something else, but American Gods is acclaimed. Um, and i had a copy of it that i started reading and i i like left it i was visiting penn state and i i it was one of the like paperbacks that you can the mass market ones you could mm-hmm. stick in your back pocket so i was carrying it around like that and i was i was reading it in the hub i was very tired and then my my now wife came to came to get me and was like it's time to go and then i laid it down and then walked away from it Aww. so i need to get it back at some point i think i have the audiobook for that one but okay. i've heard absolutely nothing but Good things about American gods, and everything I've read by Neil Gaiman is phenomenal.
0: Yeah, I was at the checkout, and the cashier was like, "Oh, I've met him before. He's really nice because I guess he used to live in Wisconsin, and he would normally come and do book signings at Barnes Noble and at other small bookstores in Minneapolis. So that was wow. exciting, but I think now he lives on the West the East Coast. What are the coasts? I don't I don't remember. He lives somewhere else now, though.
1: That's cool. I didn't even know he lived in America. So. <laughs>
0: oh, yeah, yeah. I didn't know either. And then this guy just told me about it. So I'm like, well, I know my history of Neil gaming now. So that's exciting. Very um, nice. <laughs> another book I got from Half Price Books was Ask Again Yes, because someone asked us for a recommendation like this book, and I have not read it. So I have a lot of reading to do. Uh, in the next couple of weeks it's a family like a family drama which normally i don't like family dramas so we'll see how that goes maybe my tastes have changed because i don't think i've read one for a while
1: so we'll see do you remember the last one that you read Uh, i don't know if i have a clear definition of family dramas i think i do but
0: you know it's been a long time and i I'd have to go through my Goodreads and see. Yeah, no, I can't remember the last one I read. I can't remember any of them that I've read. That shows how much I didn't like them. Well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, another one I got was, I've seen this all over Instagram. It Ends With Us by Colleen Hoover. I think this is kind of like a, a mystery, but also like like a romantic drama. Uh, I think it's like a love triangle situation. Which normally I don't love love triangles, but I've heard great things about it and it was cheap at uh, half price books, so I was like, well Nice. Might as well get it. Okay, so we have three books left, and then i will be done. Another one <laughs> is I think the- you
1: outbought me this week.
0: <laughs> I think so. <laughs> I have a problem. I need to I need to stop. Will I though? Probably not. Look at this cover. Oh my gosh, it's so beautiful. Ooh, the Great nice. Believers by Rebecca Mackay. What is it about? I don't know. I've seen it on online, though. Um, and I think I picked it up... Oh, no. I don't remember why I picked it up. Because, and I'm actually going to talk about this later today, but it has a lot to do with um, the AIDS crisis in the 1980s. And I've never... Really heard anything about that or read anything about it besides The Immortalists. And I can't remember who wrote The Immortalists, but that had a lot to do with the AIDS crisis. And I just remember not, I've never ever known the history behind the AIDS crisis. And I've always wanted to kind of read more about it since I read The Immortalists. So um, pick that one up. Sounds like it's going to be really
1: good. Nice. Very nice. Yeah, that's an, it's an, I don't think I've read anything fiction-wise about the AIDS crisis. Mm -hmm. Plenty of nonfiction. Case study and how not to respond from a, from a governmental standpoint.
0: Yeah. No, because, so I had actually read The Immortalists with a, a book club that I had with some of my, my English professors, because I am a nerd and I'm, you know, we do that kind of thing. And, um... I remember my, one of my professors was talking about like living through the AIDS crisis. And I was like, I, I was like, I don't mean to sound ignorant, but I've never even heard of this before. So, and then she told me a little bit about it. And I was like, why, why have I never heard about that before? So I felt really dumb and I feel like I need to uh, get up to speed on that. So that's why I picked that one up. But another one, another book that I picked up, the two more uh city of girls by by elizabeth gilbert and i think i picked this one up because it seemed like it would fit with one of our uh recommendation questions that we got um someone gets kicked out of college and then she goes to live with her aunt who owns a theater and then oh yeah i remember it's kind of sounds like um the Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo, if you've ever mm. uh, heard of that one. It's about like this person telling her life story when she's really old. She's 89 at this point. So that sounded
1: interesting. Elizabeth Gilbert. What, did, what else did she write? I Sounds have, familiar.
0: I have no idea.
1: Oh. oh, does it say? I know the name. I just don't know that, that book. I don't know why I know the name.
0: Oh, from the number one New York Times bestselling author of Eat, Pray, Love.
1: There it is. Yeah. Okay.
0: That's a big book. I've never read that before, though. And the last one. This is a big boy.
1: Oh, man. You got (laughs) a lot of... You need a lot of free time.
0: Oh, my gosh. I know. And do you think I have time to read all these books? No. I actually get kind of stressed out because I'm like, I have all these books and I don't have any time to read them. And then I just buy (laughs) more books and then I get more stressed. And I'm like, Jessica, what are you doing to yourself? But I'm just being dramatic. (laughs) I'm always very dramatic. But this is The Luminaries by Eleanor Catan. It is the winner of the 2013 Man Booker Prize. It is 1866 and a young Walter Moody has come to make his fortune upon the New Zealand goldfields. on the stormy night of his arrival. He stumbles across a tense gathering of 12 local men who have met in secret to discuss a series of unexplained events. A wealthy man has vanished. A prostitute has tried to end her life. And an enormous fortune has been discovered in the home of a luckless drunk. Moody is soon drawn into the mystery, a network of fates and fortunes that is as complex and exquisitely ornate as the night sky. So that sounds interesting as
1: well. That sounds good. Yeah. I just have- the just the sight of the half price books stickers on front of your face <laughs> just brings like ah it makes <laughs> like, you it's happy. such comfort.
0: <laughs> you don't have half price books where you are currently.
1: Nope. Nope. They're kind of selective where they are. Mhm. Yeah. Cuz there's none in the, there's none in the DC area either. Although we have a oh. we have a place in Manassas, which is or as my friend refers to it as Manasses. <laughs> um, which is maybe an hour from here and they have a they have a bookstore that's very similar to half price books that I like. It has the same kind of feel, has the same kind of size, has the same pricing structure. I forget the name of it though, but I've been a couple times.
0: Sweet, sweet. When I went, nothing to- matches
1: up to half price.
0: <laughs> when I went to school in Cedar Rapids, there was a half price books
1: like right around the corner. So, yeah. I think they started in Texas. Oh, and then scatter around the country now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah.
0: Okay. Well, that's our book call. That's like. More than half of the episode. We have not even started. <laughs>
1: <at> 37 minutes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Sorry, everybody. If you don't like our massive book hauls, please let us know. Um, and, and just send us an email. I'll have it in the show notes. Um, but yeah, what are you reading? Or what did you finish reading
1: this week? Uh, I didn't I finish anything. I didn't think I had, I didn't think I finished anything, but I forgot that I finished Nihilism by hmm. Nolan Gertz which uh, I need to bring up my notes now, which I could have done. <laughs> I <laughs> forgot. Sorry. All right. Yeah. So, so, I finished Nihilism by Nolan Gertz. And again, I can't recommend the series enough. Now, granted, I've only read two books in the series, but the MIT Press Essential Knowledge series is just the two that I've read have been phenomenal. And then the Nihilism one, I, I liked a lot because again, I talked about this last time, there's plenty that I, I disagree with in the book, but I'm okay with that. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm kind of tired of reading books where I I like subscribe to everything that they that they say. But there's a lot in here that that really kind of hit home. Um, and, and again, nihilism. Nolan just defines this as it's look it's not that you're subscribing to like everything is meaningless it's that like if you have a realization or a suspicion that everything is meaningless you're turning away from it that's Mm -hmm. the nihilism it's running away from reality rather than trying to make something out of that reality so there's a lot about like escapism um television and just screens as a constant like i don't have to think about my life if i if i am connected to these things so he talks about the slow creep of nihilism via social media part of what i disagreed with is his his take on social media is it hasn't really like rapid it hasn't really changed the face of the world as we know it it hasn't contributed to massive social change uh, which i thought well, that's I interesting this book I, I would strongly disagree with that. Um, now, there have been events that have occurred subsequently past the publication of this book. So oh, yeah. that might have something to do with it. But I still think it's only a couple years old. Because yeah. to me, it's always whenever people are like, yeah, but I'll miss my like, it's you can use it just as a way to connect with friends. I'm always like, yeah, but you know, genocide in Myanmar. If mm-hmm. you're okay with that, then then that's that That's your thing. Social media is your thing. But I did think that that concept was interesting from an individual standpoint. Yeah. And I noticed that myself when I used social media. It's not that you convert your life to constantly being on social media. It's that you slowly start to dedicate more time and resources and mental faculties towards this thing, which is not actually reality. <laughs>
0: yeah. Well, the thing is that social media is engineered to be addicting. Yep. Like they did that on purpose. So, but okay. I want to I have a quick question. So, when did you say that this book was published?
1: I think 2018. We yeah, because- have Oh, 2019. So, I very much disagree with that assessment.
0: Yeah, cuz didn't the Me Too movement happen in 2017? Like that was a huge social change. Like I don't agree with what he's saying with that at all.
1: Yeah. 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 Agreed. Agreed. So again, it's, and I like that about the book. There's plenty to disagree with. I talked about last time I disagree with the take on postmodernism, but there are so many gems in here where I like, as somebody who doesn't really use social media, I was still like, man, like I use some of these things way, way, way too much um, and then the other the other big thing that he talks about is the surrendering of authority onto other people and thus like avoiding acceptance of your own mm-hmm. responsibility which is a concept I always try to return to there's a Buddhist writer named Brad Warner and something that stuck out to me that he wrote one time is that he like it, it, he said like always accept the blame even if it's not your fault just accept the blame because it's it's easier like you, everybody can you create this system of just blaming each other and not getting anything done. Whereas if you're just like, okay, it's my fault, you can move on and then like actually get things done, uh, which always sticks out to me. But this is the quote that I'll, I'll, I'll leave off talking about nihilism with. Uh, serious people. This is talking about the spirit of nostalgia. <laughs> Serious people evade freedom and responsibility through seeking infantilism and paternalism. Serious people turn themselves into children, wanting nothing more than definitions to learn and rules to obey. They thus require some external authority that can provide such definitions and such rules that can guarantee that these definitions and rules will remain unchanging and absolute. Hence, serious people say things like, I know my rights. In much the same way that children say, My daddy said don't do that. <laughs> For in both cases, there is an appeal to an external authority whose mere existence is seen as sufficient to require that everyone must behave in accordance with the dictates of that authority. And uh, you know, you see that all the time. If you watch the news, if you're the unfortunate person that watches the news, like you see that constantly of like, this goes against my rights. Like this stomps on freedom of speech, freedom of speech drives me nuts when people talk about it because they usually talk about it incorrectly mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and, and it becomes meaningless when it's just an appeal to like, I can say whatever I want, freedom of speech. Like, there's, there's a lot more to freedom of speech than
0: yeah, that. Like they use it as an excuse to be racist most of the time.
1: Right, right. Or like I can avoid consequences because I'm protected under the First Amendment. Yeah. You can't. You can't avoid social ostracism. And you can't also you also can't avoid what your employer does to you. So I try to emphasize that to students because you know, students will always <laughs> always always use that as a cop out. Um, so he says like the invasion of reality is an evasion of freedom. And I think that's one of those realms where that occurs where like you're emphasizing your freedom under the Constitution, but you're using it in a way that evades reality and thus is restrictive of your own freedom. So a lot of food for thought, um, but like heavy concepts presented in a way that's, that's very easy to digest. This one took a while to start to get digestible, um, but very readable. So definitely check out, check out the MIT Press Essential Knowledge series. Cool,
0: cool. Awesome. Did you have any other books to talk about, or can I go into what I'm currently reading?
1: Go into what you're currently reading.
0: Okay, cool. So, like I said, I did not finish any books this week because I have been bad, (laughs) but also I was working on uh, the Mark Literary Review's August edition, which actually comes out today, which will not come out today for everybody who's listening to this. It'll come out, I don't know, like two weeks. It'll have come out like two weeks ago. But, Anyway, that's a long way for me to say that I did not do my job. Uh but I am reading a book that is really good right now. Uh, it's Foundryside by Robert Jackson Bennett. And oh my gosh. Why haven't I read this series before? Oh, it's amazing. I'm just amazed at how people authors can come up with these different worlds in their heads. Like it's it's it uh oh, it blows my mind. So this book is about a world where people can convince objects to do things for them. So this process is called scribing and how it works is, for example, you could take a wheel, you could put some markings on it, and then you can make it think that it's going down a hill, even though it's not. So it just keeps rolling because it thinks that it's obeying gravity because it thinks that it's supposed to be rolling down a hill. And people will put these wheels on carriages to make them move without having to rely on horses and they'll do this to all kinds of different objects as well just it doesn't have to be just wheels can be different things as well so that's so cool um and we follow our main character sancia who is a thief and living in the impoverished area of this world and uh the books the book begins with her going on a heist for an object that's going to get her a lot of money and she needs this money because she has a scribed plate in her head that she wants to get out so what this plate allows her to do is she can touch an object and it'll start talking to her and it will tell her about itself if that makes sense so like she'll touch a wall and she'll know exactly where the handholds are where it's weakest and like she can tell if there's like a secret room inside the wall or something like that which i thought was really cool um i have no idea why she would want to get rid of that power sounds really like a good thing to have uh yeah, but i'm only about 100 pages in so i'm sure i'll figure that out eventually so anyway so we follow her as she's trying to steal this object and she gets it and she realizes just how powerful this object is like it could tear the world apart and she's like, oh no, I need to get the heck out of this country before someone realizes that I have this thing because this world is ruled by these different houses and they're kind of like, I don't want to call them like gangs, not gang, but like, or mafias, Like that's kind of what they are. That's kind of like what I would, I would relate them to. And then she thinks that one of the houses is trying to get this object so that they can become more powerful than the other houses and destroy them. And kind of just take over. So uh, right now where I've left her, Sancia, the main character, is that they have found out that she has this thing and she's running away from 20 armed dudes. So it's very, it's very fun. It's very immersive. And so far i give it 5 out of 5 stars. So I really like
1: it a lot. That's a very unique, uh, unique take on the on the genre.
0: Yeah, yeah, I'm surprised I haven't heard of it before. Yeah.
1: Cool. I'm. uh, I am currently reading War and Peace. I man, did I read a lot of War and Peace. But you're enjoying it though. Oh, oh my God, I love it so much. I, (laughs) and I, I put it off for a while, and um, I think I'm getting together today with the person that I'm reading this with and I was like oh shoot I have like like 300 pages to read so I've been shuffling between the the text version and the audiobook which has been great because just working around the house and having the audiobook in Mm -hmm. gets through gets through a lot of it and being able to switch back and forth is 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 pretty nice and then I get to compare translations a little bit um still the 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 Briggs translation I always go with the Briggs translation I broached A thousand pages last night. So I am, I'm.
0: Congratulations. The
1: the end is nigh. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it's fantastic. And I noticed something. None of the main characters have died. (laughs) And there's been instances where they almost die. And, and, you know, we've kind of been watching and being like, when's he going to do it? Is he going to do it? Is he going to kill any of the main characters? It seems weird that this book, which is getting very, very intense with the war. Um, I mean, Moscow is on fire Mm -hmm. right now um, that none of the main characters would die. So one of the main characters, um, it's made to seem like he dies and then he shows up again and you're like, ah, Tolstoy did it again. He brought him back. But he's like mortally, mortally wounded um, to the point where it's like, I highly doubt he's going to pull through like it really would be a miracle and i find it interesting the writing surrounding this particular person in that like the war has not really been that violent yes it's been very violent but in terms of description it hasn't really been that violent but once this scene occurs where he is he's put in the place where like he is mortally wounded it it has scenes with him that get very very violent and I find that interesting because now you're watching the violence through his lens and happening to people that he knows and happening to himself, which makes it like, I mean, just heart wrenching to Mm -hmm. to watch, which I thought was an interesting way to to humanize the war because everybody that's died so far and the violence that you've seen has just been random people, not really anyone that you care about. But it's really, it's really come home with this, with this character who is still alive. (laughs) Like every time you see him, the doctors are like, he's not going to make it, but he's still here. But the last, one of the last scenes I read was a description of what's actually happening with his wound. And it's like, man, there's just, there's just no way. Yeah. Is it very graphic? It's graphic enough. Mm -hmm. It's graphic enough. Um... Yeah, I don't even really want to want to describe it. Yeah, that's okay. I don't need to hear about it. (laughs) It it is one of those things, though, where it's like if it were like that through the entire book, it'd be hard to recommend Uh, to you in particular, Jess, it would be hard to recommend. But because it's not and because it's done in the in the manner in which it's it's done, I, I think it works really, really well. And again, the book is still tremendously funny, which I find fascinating. One of the other characters, Pierre, like he's now that he's older, he's he's kind of just drifted through life and just lets things happen to him. Now that he's older, like he kind of wants the greatness. So there's a there's a scene where one of his Mason brothers points out like, hey, you know, if we do this with this strange encryption and and put the put these numbers with the alphabet and then we take Napoleon's name, Emperor Napoleon. Napoleon and and translate it with the numbers, we get six six six. Oh, it's the gosh. mark of the beast. <laughs> so then there's the scene where Pierre is like convinced, convinced that he is like the chosen one so he's trying to get his name to match six 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 so that he knows for certain that he's destined f- for for greatness and he eventually gets it but the whole scene is like ah <laughs> oh, it wasn't even close let me remove this letter from the name so it's it's uh, it keeps going through and keeps changing things to the point where it's like some of the changes are fine but then Tolstoy keeps adding in these parentheses of like he pulled this letter out quite unreasonably yeah <laughs> and then eventually he gets his name whittled down to where it's like barely recognizable and he's like that's it it oh matches 666 clearly i am the chosen one <laughs> that's funny
0: oh now yeah. you're making me want to read it i would never thought i would want to read war and peace in my life but now i feel like i have to
1: you definitely, definitely should. And again, short, short chapters. It's, I, I can see this as one of those books and I want to do it with Moby Dick first where I'll have a year where I will just keep it by the bedside and read a chapter a night mm-hmm. because the chapters will not take very long to read. And I don't know, it'd, it'd probably take the entire year to read it, but that's fine. It's gives a bit of a slower intake. So you definitely should read it at some point.
0: Yeah. See, I don't think I could do that with just reading a chapter a night, because I hate reading more than one book at a time because I conflate
1: things. Hmm. I do I'm the complete opposite. I have like way too many books. <laughs> I actually just went through my good reason was like, you know what? Don't need to read this one anymore. Take that mm-hmm. off currently reading. Take that off currently reading.
0: I think that if I if I'm reading like a fantasy book and then a nonfiction book then that's fine. Like I can read two at a time. But if I'm reading two fantasy books, I'm like, wait, did that happen in this book or the other book? So
1: yeah. I just get confused. That makes sense. Well, you might be all right with War and Peace then since it's so mm-hmm. historic. I say since it's so historical, and, and it is, but like it's, it's, it's a lot of drama. Good drama, but it's mm-hmm. a lot of drama. So. Awesome. Awesome. So I think, I think I might be done with it next time Ooh. Uh, that we meet. This book is heavy. Just picking it up. Listeners, I'm going to drop it on my desk. Listen.
0: (laughs) Does it make your wrist hurt when you pick it up? (laughs) A little bit. (laughs) Okay. Well, uh, should we go into our recommendation question? Yes. Okay. So we had Amanda who asked, I am looking to read more books by people of color. What are your favorite books by people of color that you can recommend to me? And I wanted to choose some books that I've already talked about on the podcast. <clears throat> if you haven't read The City We Became by n k jemison, what are you doing? Just go stop what you're doing and go read it. But I chose to go another route. i
1: chose I feel to feel like we're sponsored by n k jemison at this I point mean,
0: I mean we should be that would be a dream come true for me um but I chose to to Uh, talk about some books that I have not talked about on the podcast before. So I chose The House on Mango Street by Sandra Cisneros and Full Disclosure by Cameron Garrett. So I'll start with Full Disclosure by Cameron Garrett first. Um, This is a book that I read about a year ago and I thought that it was awesome because it it was something that I had never seen on the market before and this has to do with HIV and AIDS, like I was talking about before uh, today. Um, This is a young adult novel, and it's set in, this just came out in 2019, the end of 2019, so it's very new, and it's about a girl who was born with HIV, and she takes medicine to keep it under control, and I had no idea that when you get HIV, it's not a death sentence. Again, because I have never heard anything about like no one ever talks about HIV or any type of STI or anything like that. And uh, yeah, so what I, I was saying, she takes medicine to keep it under control. And if she takes her medicine, she most likely won't even pass it on to any of her sexual partners because this medicine can keep her viral load. I think that's what they call it, under a certain number. And then it won't pass it on to her sexual partners, which I didn't even know that was a thing. And I was like, why don't we talk about this more? It kind of made me mad, actually, that we don't talk about this. And so, this girl, she's going through high school. Like I said, it's a young adult novel. And she decides that she likes this boy, and he likes her back. But she's struggling with how to tell him that she has HIV and when to tell him. Because that's a big bomb to drop on someone, you know, especially you know if people don't know uh how not serious well i guess it's serious but like how manageable it can be now now uh, that we have all this medicine um but then she gets blackmailed by someone who is saying that if the main character doesn't tell the guy that she has hiv then this person is going to tell the whole school that she has hiv Um, and like I said, people are very ignorant about the disease, which is making her scared to live her life how she wants to. So things just start to unravel from there. And I won't go too into detail because it is kind of a spoiler if I keep talking about what happens, but I really like this book because it taught me so much about HIV, um, and... I think that it's unique that it doesn't approach HIV from a fear-mongering lens because all I've ever heard about since I discovered the AIDS uh, crisis, which was not that long ago that I heard about it, everything that I've ever heard about it since then has just been like this HIV is a very taboo thing. No one ever talks about it. It's a scary thing, but it really doesn't have to be that way. So the main character was just like, this is my life, and that's it. And I thought that was really cool. So that is a book that I would recommend for that.
1: All right. Yeah. Excellent. That sounds, yeah, I should definitely read that, for, for especially since it's a young adult book.
0: Do you think that people would get mad at you, like parents would get mad at you if you recommended it?
1: Um, Probably. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, honestly, it's probably not appropriate now that I'm teaching seventh grade. If I had to guess, just the themes of the not, not that AIDS is being talked about, but it sounds more like a, a maybe a later teen drama. Am I reading that correctly?
0: Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of talk about sex and, and stuff in it. Yeah. It yeah. never gets a, it never gets steamy. It's not a steamy read, but it does sure. talk about sex. So,
1: yeah. Yeah. There's a, a topic for another day. I mean, there's different ways to approach it in the classroom um and a lot of times it's like if you're not reading it as a whole group you know uh, Mm -hmm. you know what kids you shouldn't recommend those things to you also put disclaimers in your syllabus of like hey like i'm not i haven't read every book that is in my library and it's you know it's kind of up to you to to do the previews here there's a lot of resources for that now too so so yeah yeah, i would definitely i would stock my high school classroom library with with Mm -hmm. that but yeah, not the. I got to reimagine my middle school library because <laughs> <laughs> so I have a bunch of young adult books to to get rid of because I just can't. I can't. The themes are too strong, or the mm-hmm. the language is is too strong to to use with seventh graders.
0: Well, I did have yeah. another book, but I thought that you could go with one that you have, and then I'll talk about the other one.
1: Sure. Yeah. Uh, so I, I do want to start with some authors I have not spoken about before. And one is Walter Mosley. I love Walter Mosley. Walter Mosley writes everything. Um, he's done Afrofuturism before. Um, he, he's most well known for his mysteries, which is what I will talk about. He's also, fun fact, writes all of his books butt ass naked, so which I admire. Oh, my <laughs> I think is interesting. <laughs> I think he, he has a book about like writing novels and I, I believe that's in that book of like I write it naked. It works for me. Uh, Walter Mosley has a series, it's called the easy Rollins series. And the first one is devil in a blue dress, which in the past couple of years, the 30th anniversary of that has come out. I almost purchased that at Barnes and Noble a couple of weeks ago, but the cover was a cover was a bit damaged. Mm-hmm. It's a really cool series. This one is it follows a detective and he doesn't start as a detective. Uh, he starts as I believe a factory worker. It's been a long time since I've read it. Uh, And he lives in Watts in Los Angeles, and I believe this is pre—this is pre-Watts riots, but it's the racial tensions are getting to, getting to that point, Uh, and he's out of a job. But he's approached by some people who want him to investigate what happened uh, to a woman who, a white woman who had been frequenting uh, a, a mainly African American bar. Uh, so he becomes throughout the entire series, the guy that eventually even the cops will come to as a PI and say like, Hey, like we need you to investigate something in the city. Cause you know, we don't, we don't want to do it. We're, you know, the, 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 the racial line there is, is too big and we won't be able to get information. So from that standpoint, it's, it's really cool. And I, and I like, I like that it doesn't start as like, you know, he's the typical you know, P.I. that's you know, just sitting in there waiting for something. of all the of all the places the dame could come <laughs> into one of the, one of those deals. It's definitely not. He he falls into and reluctantly, from what I remember, this profession. And also he has a best friend named Mouse who is like batshit insane. Uh, <laughs> Mouse is one of the coolest characters I've, I've ever read. Um, I've stalled on the series a little bit cause I, I want to kind of go back and go in order. I've read devil in a blue dress two times and I will soon read it three times. So it's, it's that good. It's, it's worth rereading. They're short. There's a, there's a movie of the first one. Denzel Washington plays easy Rollins, which I've heard is very good. Um, so there's a lot to delve into there and it also follows the history. So occasionally I've randomly picked up an easy Rollins book. Um, and one of the last ones I read, he'd made it all the way up to like the hippie movement, which I thought was cool. Like you could pick just a moment in, in time, um, and see that perspective come out in the novel. So Walter Mosley, check him out. Everything that I've read of his is, is great. And again, he's very, ecla- he's even written like, <laughs> like straight up pornographic books before he has a couple <laughs> of those, like ev- he writes everything, which I think is admirable.
0: Yeah, awesome. That sounds really good. Yeah. And I think that might fit. Mm, no, never mind. I was thinking it might fit with a recommendation question we have coming up in the future, but I don't think so. Never mind. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but so the other book that I wanted to recommend for this question was The House on Mango Street by Sandra Cisneros. Uh, and this book came out in 1984. Or, and it's structured as a series of vignettes so it's very short chapters and it follows the main character named Esperanza Cordero and she's a 12 year old Chicana girl who is growing up in Chicago and it follows one year in her life and it explores a lot of heavy themes like social class, race, sexuality, identity, gender things like that. Uh, this book does have a lot of trigger warnings in it. So domestic violence, sexual assault, racism are some of the main ones. So <clears throat> just be aware of that if you're going to pick it up. And I, I was sitting down last night trying to write my notes and I just, I just, I don't know how to describe this book. I think about it a lot and, and I don't, I think I like it so much because, well, it it, it surprised me that I liked it because I typically don't like reading coming-of-age stories and that's very much what this is and I had just read this story, I, this book like two years ago so um, at that point I was really out of my coming-of-age story phase. Like I just, I don't like reading them because I'm not in that time in my life anymore but I really liked this book. And I think it has a lot to do with... There are just those universal themes, for example, like how women are socialized to just take abuse from men, and it's kind of mm-hmm. normalized for us, which is not correct. But that's... You know, you you see those statistics. I think it's one in four women in their lives will have a type of sexual harassment or sexual assault situation. Um, and it, it kind, this book just kind of explores... Uh, that uh, and how how crazy it is for society to just kind of normalize that that's a thing that just happens and we don't ever talk to our boys about hey you shouldn't do that it's more like hey women you shouldn't be walking around on the street at night by yourself um and it's just kind of putting the blame on the girls for that um so I think that's one of the main reasons why I like it um and And this book is kind of honestly amazing to me because it's only 110 pages and it's told in these series of vignettes. So it's very, it's a very short read, but explores so many different themes. And I think that the author did a great job to, to explore all these themes, but do it so concisely. Um. And I really like big books, but I think authors who write really short books should be more <laughs> commended than those who write the big ones, because they have to do everything so concisely, and and it's very difficult to do that. I think, um, and yeah, so so uh, this book it can be a very hard read, but I think it's very worth it.
1: It's a great book. I've I've also read House on Mango Street. I think I read it in a day. It is very much one you could just sit sit and read in, in one sitting. Mm-hmm. Um, and but that said, again, she like you said, she's distilled a lot into these stories, so mm-hmm. you really could sit on some of them for a while. It reminded me a little bit of Jamaica Kincaid. Have you ever read any Jama- Jamaica Kincaid? No, I've not. She has some very similar stories. She shows up in like flash fiction anthologies. Mm-hmm. Uh, her one short story I think is called "Girl," which is excellent. Look that one up. Okay. Um, so if you if you read House on Mango Street and you like it, look into Jamaica Kincaid because I think uh I think they're very similar. Nice. Sweet. Well, so I, I, I also want to recommend a book that I've read. Oh gosh! One, two, three. Three times in a year. There's a reason for that, though, which I'll talk about, which is Front Desk by Kelly Yang. Uh, This was a one book, one community book for for the school district in which I teach. Sorry, I'm being a little cagey with that. Um, so this was very much promoted in the community. And then we also had a, a very strong literary push or school-wide reading push this past year should really take off this year now that we're not remote, but we all read the same book in our advisory classes. And then that book finished and we had, you know, months left to go. So on the literacy committee, we decided that, hey, we have a lot of copies of Front Desk. It's excellent. Let's use that. So I read it once for myself and then I read it out loud to my students. And I also recorded myself reading every chapter so other classes could could listen to it if the teachers didn't want to read it out loud themselves, which which created this weird I'm reading it to my students and I can also hear myself reading it in another (laughs) class. (laughs) Uh, but it was well worth it Uh, front desk by Kelly Yang follows a girl who is based on based on Kelly Yang and she's I believe she's in fifth or sixth grade Uh, her family has moved here from China in the 80s and they are they're kind of going from job to job so she's never in the same school district and then she she ends up her family ends up running a motel um and the guy who runs the motel is interesting from the standpoint of he's a terrible person. Um, but he also discriminates against them. So you get these, you get these interesting takes on racism that you don't see a lot in, in young adults. This is, this is middle level, but I think young adults would like it as well in that you have racism within certain races. Mm-hmm. Um, now, he doesn't discriminate in his discrimination because he also discriminates against other races, but he, he very much discriminates within his race. He discriminates within the classes. So I think that that's an interesting multi-level take that that kids will not see a lot of. And again, it's middle level. You might not be looking for middle level, but I think it's a great snapshot into what was going on at the at the time. And again, very much based on. Kelly Yang's life. A lot of the things that happen in the novel, um, aside from the kind of far-fetched ending, which, you know, makes room for sequels happened to her and happens to her family. Um, and, and it's just very tough for them to like the, the owner is making all the money and he's barely giving anything to them. And anytime something goes wrong, he charges them for it. So there, there will be scenes where all they have to eat is like fried garlic inside of lettuce. Mm -hmm. Um, because they're, you know, they have to, pay for something that has gone, has gone awry. And they're also helping, helping immigrants out that are, are coming to stay and don't have money. So they're kind of eating the cost and trying not to get, trying not to get caught for that. It also gives a great historical perspective because at the time they, they came because the poverty in China was, was so bad. And after they left, their families really, really started to, um, amass some wealth. There were some societal changes that allowed for that. So they get this feeling of like, should we have left in the, in the first place? Because like, if we'd stuck around a little bit longer, we'd actually be in a better situation than we are now. So there's a lot to it for a book that's very short and very readable. And it conveys those things to all audiences. So Kelly Yang, check out Kelly Yang.
0: That sounds really interesting. Do you think that someone uh, who's older, like not middle level, would like that? Or is it more just something for younger kids?
1: No, I think I think anybody would like it. Okay. Interesting. I think anybody would like it.
0: I've not read any middle grade since I was a middle grade level reader. <laughs> so that would be interesting to kind of pick up uh, a middle grade book and kind of see.
1: Yeah, it's... It- I have trouble with young adult fiction in that I I like middle level more than <laughs> more than young adult fiction, okay. which is something we can get into in the future. But I think a lot of the middle level stuff, like they're the authors are attempting to present things to younger readers that are very adult. Um, and, and I think it gives them a more informed and empathetic view of the world. Um, but if you are going to read any, any middle level this one is, is one to go to. My wife loved it. She doesn't teach middle level. Um, I made a bunch of the teachers cry because they oh. they were kind of reading it week to week and didn't know things that were coming up. So like, yeah. the, and adults got very engaged in the narrative here. So highly recommend it. And the nice thing about middle level is it's a lot cheaper than buying a young adult and adult novels. So
0: yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Well, yeah. I feel like the books that we've kind of talked about are kind of heavier themes and i actually i have a book you're you're on my uh a a stack of books right now my laptop is on a stack of books right now um (laughs) but i have one that i picked up the other day and it seems just more of a lighter story i haven't read it yet uh but it's a called oh now the sticker is covering up the author name hold on hold on hold on oh it's on the spine too it's called first comes like by alicia rye and this is just a, a fun like romance novel and it's by a person of color um who oh i also have another book by her and i didn't even realize it anyway it's about a uh, beauty expert and influencer gia ahmed Who wants to conquer the internet in the the, the makeup industry. So it sounds like she's a makeup influencer. And then an international superstar slides into her DMs and she falls hard and fast. But he has no idea who she is. He is the son of a powerful Bollywood family soap opera star. His name is Dev Dixit. And... Sounds like maybe Gia gets catfished. And then maybe they... Fall in love. So that sounds really interesting. So, uh, a book by a person of color. Haven't read it yet, but it'll be more of like a lighter theme, I
1: think. Yeah. I I will say the the front desk is definitely not doom and gloom. <laughs> I feel like I'm highlighting a lot of that stuff to convince older people to read it. So it's not. While there are very emotional scenes, it's not. It's not all like depressing, <laughs> if okay. you will. Gotcha. But those themes are still there. I would be remiss if I didn't very briefly mention, because um, I've talked about before, but Hanif Abdurraqi, one of my favorite, favorite contemporary authors, his second book is probably my current favorite book of all time, and it stopped me from reading for a couple months because I just mm-hmm. couldn't find anything that was nearly as good as that one. It's called Go Ahead in the Rain Notes to a Tribe Called Quest, um, and it's an exploration of what it's like to be a fan of something, in this case, a tribe called Quest, which was a rap group from the 90s. If you know, if you care nothing about that, it's still such a good read. <laughs> like, it'll make you want to listen to. All of a tribe called Quest. It's so good, and he we and he writes letters to them. He writes letters to um, the the one rapper's mother because he he passes away. He passed away in 2016, and she's a poet, and Hanif is a poet. It's just all around. It's such a great hybrid text. I would be remiss if I didn't recommend that one because it's one of the greatest books I've ever read
0: sweet well Amanda has a lot of great things to read and that brings us to the conclusion of our show thank you all so much for listening if you made it to the end we really appreciate you. Um, <laughs> make sure you keep up with us. on.
1: We Dis- appreciate you if you didn't make it to the end as as well, but you're not here <laughs> to hear us say that. So. <laughs>
0: yes, exactly. Exactly. Uh, but make sure that you keep up with us on Instagram, on Discord. But yeah, I think that is it. And then if you want us to recommend you a book, make sure you go to our website, which will be in the show notes, and you can just fill out the quick form take you a couple minutes. Um, and yeah, thank y'all for so much, so much for listening.